Okay, so we started with this uh, last week uh, where we took a little bit of a break from the uh, regular Bible study that we were doing after the first and second Thessalonians, yes. where Paul talked uh, briefly about disciplining. So we just wanted to take that up and look at some scenarios and see how we would respond and what would be a biblical way of responding to some scenarios. So uh, last week, we just went through the first one. Uh, we had an extended discussion on uh, interpersonal conflicts. And today we'll try to get through the rest if we can, God willing. If not, we'll just uh, take, it, take our time to discuss and see where it takes us. So uh, disciplining in love uh, is uh, very important, I feel, uh, within a local church. Uh, it is important uh, in a family to discipline uh, in love. And we talked about that Lord loves uh, discipline and he also disciplines uh, those he loves. And when we are being disciplined or when we are being chastened, uh, it is not pleasant uh, at that time, as we read in Hebrews 12, 11. But later on, it produces the harvest of righteousness and also peace for those who have been trained uh, by it. So if our goal uh, is to seek uh, righteousness, if our goal is to seek holiness, uh, if our goal is to have a right living uh, with the Lord, then we should uh, subject ourselves uh, to the chastening of the Lord so that we could be uh, changed, uh, we could be uh, put in the right track. So we talked about different reasons uh, why disciplining uh, is good uh, in terms of why we should do it, how we should do it, when and who should do it. So we said that the goal uh, is always uh, to restore the believers. The intent is never to condemn. The intent is never to look down on someone or to judge someone, but our goal is to restore uh, in the spirit of love and also to maintain uh, the testimony of the church, uh, to maintain the testimony uh, of the believers. So the disciplining is always done uh, in the spirit of love. Uh, with the expectation that we are trying to restore the believers and also maintaining uh, the testimony of the church. So, so we went through the first one, which is the interpersonal uh, conflicts, uh, where we talked about uh, two poor people having conflict uh, within a church. And we uh, took the passage from Matthew chapter 18, uh, 15 through 20. Uh, which speaks about uh, progressive uh, discipline. So, so we uh, noted there that uh, the person who is hurt uh, should take the initiative to approach the other person uh, to identify uh, what triggered uh, that conflict or what led to that and try to reconcile. And we call it, is, uh, we call it progressive because when we read the verses, uh, it progresses from one-to-one one -one discussion. And if the other person is not willing to listen, uh, they should take uh, one or two more witnesses. And if the person is still not willing to listen, then they should uh, take them uh, to the church or it could be a bigger group. And if they're still not willing to listen, then we simply uh, put them away. And we also said that ignoring uh, an existing conflict or ignoring a situation that we know exists uh, may not be the best option. 
uh, it's good to forgive, but we should not simply ignore the conflict because when we do that, uh, it will, that person may commit the same thing again. So there is, uh, then it will lead to the same kind of hurts. And we're also missing a teaching opportunity for the other person so that he can grow in that area. So love is the foundation for everything that we are doing. And the reconciliation is the desired outcome. So that's where we stopped uh, last week. And today uh, we'll follow the same format. We'll just read the uh, brief scenario and take uh, 10 minutes or so to talk about it, then see how we can respond. Okay, so here we have a simple situation where we have a person, uh, we're going to call her Jonah. So she's causing uh, confusion, she's causing chaos and misunderstanding in the church uh, with the intent uh, of causing divisions uh, within the church. And when we look around uh, at different churches, uh, we see that uh, it is not something that is uncommon. Uh, it is not something that is not real. So we know it happens. So we can see why such incidents happen and how we must respond. Okay, so that's the brief scenario. Uh, we have Jonah who's causing confusion uh, with the intent of causing divisions uh, within the church. So the question is, uh, why do they do such things? And uh, if we are in a church, how should we respond? And we also said last week that uh, the disciplining that we do uh, cannot extend uh, beyond the local church. Uh, so we are not asked to discipline uh, churches in California or churches in India or so on. Uh, our jurisdiction is simply the church family that we have, where we are brought together by the Lord uh, to one setting, to one fellowship. So let's take a few minutes, and I'd like to hear your thoughts, then we'll close. Yeah, with that. So why do people cause divisions, and how should we respond to that? If the person wants more more power or yeah. they want they 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 don't thinking yeah adapted right so probably that's where it all starts with mm -hmm. so it could be to grab power grab attention and mm -hmm. so it's basically divide and rule right so. yes 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 so you kind of find your own disciples and you try to yeah. It's almost like forming a team within a team, right? So mm -hmm. if you have a cricket team with 11 people, uh, everyone has to play together for success. Yeah. But oftentimes, uh, you're kind of causing divisions within one team, <laughs> which did not exist. Yeah. Or if there is a body of believers, body is one unit, right? So we cannot uh, cut it in half, or we cannot cut it in four pieces. And it also goes back to the example that uh, Solomon had, where he had a situation where uh, mother said that the other mother had killed the baby. And he said, bring the baby and let me cut it in half and give it to both of you. Uh, and obviously, that would not be the right thing to do. So oftentimes, we see that even within churches, as brother said, uh, people may cause divisions uh, in order to grab power. Uh, so there might be two parts of the body within a one body, which makes the whole body weak or makes the whole body inefficient. Yeah. 
Any other reason why people may cause divisions? If they want to do something or what we are doing in the yeah. church. And so sometimes they feel bad that we are neglecting them or we are yeah. not giving attention to them and all like that. And so, but uh, we have to keep talking to them and pray uh, like that. We should not yeah. give they don't talk, then we don't talk, then yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there are silent uh, divisions, right? Uh, uh, not, it's not like a real division, but when you enter certain churches, you can feel that uh, you're not entering one body, you're entering multiple uh, bodies within the same head, under the same headship. So, okay. so it could be for attention, it could be for power. And we've also seen in the past, some people would divide the church and they would simply walk away with half the church to a different building and start their own church also, right? So at the extreme, that is what happens. They would come disrupt the church and uh, make their own church, uh, which is the danger. Yeah. Any other reason why we people would do that? And what would be the outcome or what is the result of such behavior? I think... Uh... Forming groups, yeah. right? having favoritism, or yeah. that can also lead to, because it's not about creating divisions. Yeah, yeah. You're forming when you form your own group. Yeah. Then there are people who may feel like, you know, you know what, I'm neglected. Mm. Yeah. Right. So that quite frequently happens. Mm. This is not in the church, right? Recently, yeah. I had three, four days, continuous yeah. calibrations and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the companies, uh, diversity, inclusion, belonging is the main yeah. keywords, right? But yeah. maybe that formation of group is not in, intended like, like, you know, I'm forming a group, but it does happen. We all know, like, you know, we have uh, where we are comfortable. We create our comfort zones, right? Yeah. So that's one thing that always, we don't know how others are perceiving that, right? Mm -hmm. that's something uh, one need to be careful right this inclusive currently hr gives strict instruction even zoom participants right yeah. can we include because you're in our now like people are going back to work they're in a room they're talking among the, themselves but people who are in zoom they are not considering their opinion are they inclusive yeah. or not right so that's one thing mm -hmm. i think majority of the things i think it all starts with the gossip right mm -hmm. Not there is no intention like you know, I have to divide or I need attention. It's a loose talk that congregation engages in, right? Now the responsibility, the person who's listening, are we encouraging that discussion or we are saying like, you know, I think we should not talk this. Even if you're talking, we should talk in front of that person, right? Are mm -hmm. we shutting that conversation there and then, right? Mm -hmm. So I think these are... Uh, big things we often are guilty of like you know when other person is talking we listen to them we become indirectly part of that conversation mm -hmm. so what happens is that small talk becomes a gossip and that goes from one person to the other person and all that right mm -hmm. so all these things are also kind of i would say uh, blind sides yeah there's no intention but 
of course, like, you know, you're creating some kind of bias there. Yeah. Yeah. I think oftentimes it may not be intentional and oftentimes it is practical to form groups, right? When you have 300 people, then you kind of start with forming groups. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if your intent is not right, oftentimes that would lead to divisions in the end. Correct. Naturally, you'll start meeting with the smaller groups uh, for practical reasons, but eventually uh, that kind of starts slowly diluting the church or taking away that spirit of oneness, uh, which should mm -hmm. exist uh, in a church. So, so I feel we need to be careful even along those lines. Uh, we might be forming groups uh, for practical reasons, but we should be sensitive that uh, that is not our only circle. That's just a small sub-circle yeah. of a bigger circle. And yeah. like I said we should continue to practice inclusiveness, right? Which is what they're reminding us at work, that everyone should feel that they belong to that circle. Everyone should feel that they're part of one body and it is not a divided body. So... Yes, I think oftentimes it happens unintentionally and oftentimes uh, we don't even feel that we are creating groups, but we end up creating groups uh, unintentionally. So, yeah. so what I is... Mean, the yeah. other reason could be... Yes. yes so sometimes, even though it may not be unintentional, but I think, yeah. you know, uh, people, kind of a pride it is mm. to have a control on a certain group. Yeah. And so it is, you know, we are asked the biblical principle is to, to have to be to be humble. Yeah. If that humility is not there, that pride makes you feel that you have control over a certain group and and that's what divides ultimately. Yeah, then then you don't want to let go of that group also. <laughs> because you feel <laughs> you feel empowered in that group. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Brother Suresh, you had something to say. So I think sometimes the person may not be a like a true believer or yeah. person may not understand what is the body of Christ means mm. right? as a church. Uh, yeah. How we should be that's yeah. also if I lack that kind of understanding, probably yeah. I think uh, like with uh, like a like a non-believer, mm. gentile person and probably trying to influence others. And so yeah. Yeah, that's true also, yeah, because they may not have... Yeah, I mean, you definitely need maturity, but uh, I think that kind of maturity, as uncle said, like, you know, you have to make sure, like, you know, you have to be so humble, right? Even mm -hmm. if yes, right. something is hurting you, you, you can you can take it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So simple, some of the observations, right, in our church itself, right? We tend to speak in Telugu, right? Uh, and then non-Hindi, uh, I mean, non-Telugu speaking, they'll always like, no, this is, this has come also, right? Why are we? It is not intentional, right? I, it happens to me in Chase also, right? The moment I see somebody like, you know, I'll start talking in Hindi and then so all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, there may be an American, right? So that's, I think something we have to be careful or maybe somebody who's doing it, at least encourage each other at saying like, you know, let's talk in this, right? We normally don't do it. We take it very, callously and uh, engage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Anil uncle has done, tell, told so many times, right? When sister Rosalind is there, like, you know, how many times we go and talk and then engage and sit in that table, right? We always go and sit in the same table. We don't take even rotations, right? At least having some kind of conversation. So mm -hmm. these are all, I think, blindsiders. We know yeah. it, 
but we don't do it. We don't take that first step. I, I don't know what is the reason. And I'm, I'm equally guilty. I'm not saying like, you know, I'm better than others here. I've engaged myself in talking in Hindi and Telugu and all that, right? Understanding on that table, somebody else is there mm -hmm. who may feel like, you know, neglected. We don't know how the other person is saying. Right? And being very careful is also not that great. But somebody can correct me, right? If I'm doing that in that conversation, hey, let's, because, because you're not doing intentionally, but somebody should take that liberty also to correct me at that time hey you know what let's do this or something of that nature i think yeah you said in one of your pointers right it starts with church right yeah. so engaging in some kind of gossip or engaging in these kind of things which we accidentally do it but there should be somebody who in greater love should take the liberty of like hey i'm pretty sure if somebody tells me i'll i'll be mindful Right, I'm not mindful at that time, but I'll be mindful not to do that at least for next 15 minutes while I while I'm engaging in the conversation. Right? Um, I, think those are I, I don't think a lot of this just happens, but we know that somebody on the other side is definitely hurt, right, or definitely feels neglected. So I think from that point of time, a point of view, a, it definitely create some kind of like, you know, divisions and mm. uh, all that. Yeah, a lot of divisions could be just subtle, but yeah. Yeah, that's a good practical point. So we should be very sensitive and oftentimes we make mistakes uh, without knowing. But if you keep the picture of that body in our mind that uh, every person should feel connected to that body, no person should feel that they are not part of that body, right? So the finger should not be hanging by itself or the leg should not be hanging by itself outside the body. Yeah. Every person should feel that they are in some shape or form connected to that one unit, right? Which is the local church, yeah. We can also, if uh, they, they're talking to three people together and uh, we see that and all also, but we have to go, as when we go to church, we must, uh, talk to as many as possible we can say hello how are you how are you feeling and like that we have i have to go and talk to each person like that whomever i see and just say how are you how are you doing and like that we have yeah. to talk they don't talk but we have to go and talk to them yeah just just talking how are you how are you doing? yeah that's good yeah yeah yeah, so I think the accountability factor is also good, as Brother mentioned, that uh, sometimes we don't feel free to tell people that they are on the wrong path, which we discussed even last week, that when people are making mistakes, uh, we should correct them in the spirit of love and just tell them that maybe this is not the right way to do it, maybe do it this way, it's better for everyone kind of thing, right? Yeah. So I think uh, that also comes with humility, it comes with uh, shared love among everyone and sometimes when we correct people will get offended so we, yeah. we are afraid of correcting people also right so yeah. it gets a little bit complicated but philip on this on the same side for some individuals i think it should come from the top of the house uh, i i don't think it should like you know come from anyone see i i being a manager when i talk yeah. to my employees saying like you know these are the opportunities or these yeah. are the they listen, right? Not yeah. a peer or a colleague when they say, like, you know, they will not, not even care. Same yeah. thing if my manager is telling me, 
I'll listen. For certain individuals, I think it should come from the from the from the leadership, right? I think yeah. That, I think so. It's a balancing act, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if say even Jaipal comes and tells me something, like you know, I'll take it. Depending on like you know, okay, I'm matured. I won't mind. He won't also mind like you know telling me, mm. right? But for some individuals, it's it it definitely matters who's telling the point of view. Yeah, I think it depends on the person, and it also depends upon the degree of violation, right? So if mm. the the degree of damage is high, then I agree it should come from the top. There should be some yeah. strong. I asked in Hebron one brother, and uh, I asked him, well, how can we uh, talk about this and what to do? They said that something is happening in somebody, somebody's uh, like some problem. Then they said, you have to tell your leaders who are in the church and tell what is happening. Then they will uh, meet them and talk to them. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. he's talking. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see what the Bible has to say, just a few verses. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so that was a good discussion, and Bible also has something to say. Uh, in Proverbs uh, chapter 6, uh, 16 to 19, uh, it talks about these are the six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Mm. It lists the six things that the Lord hates, a proud look, uh, we talked about that, pride, a lying tongue, uh, hands that shed uh, innocent blood. And of course, uh, when we go to the New Testament, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls uh, even anger as murder, so we can take it like that, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, uh, feet that are swift to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. And it ends by saying, he that soweth discord uh, among brethren. So that is what we are discussing. Uh, people who are trying to cause uh, divisions or in some way bring uh, some uh, misunderstanding or some kind of divisions uh, within a local church. And in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 3, uh, where Paul is writing, uh, he talks about uh, people who are causing divisions as being still in the carnal state. And after we are born again, uh, the expectation is that we are moving uh, to maturity and we are becoming spiritual. Uh, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, living within us. And Paul says, uh, if things are not changing, then you're still living in a carnal state, uh, which is not good. So he says, uh, you're yet carnal because there is still envying or there is still jealousy among you. Uh, there is strife or there is conflict. Then he talks about divisions. And if these things are present uh, in a local church, then that's a sign that we are still not uh, maturing or we are still uh, drinking milk, not eating meat. And we are not really spiritual or we are not exercising uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, that is uh, within us. Then Paul, uh, in, sorry, in Titus, uh, we see what should be our response, uh, which seems a little bit extreme, but it's similar to what we talked about even last week. Uh, so it says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them the second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. Uh, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful 
uh, they are uh, self-condemned or because they are continuing in the state of sin, uh, which means uh, they are bringing condemnation among themselves. So uh, when such situations uh, exist, uh, obviously we should try to counsel them uh, directly, uh, talking to them one-on-one -on -one and explaining to them what they are doing is not right. Uh, it is causing uh, damage uh, to the testimony of the church. Uh, it is also causing damage uh, to the health of the church. And if they refuse to listen or if they refuse to change their ways, uh, it says, have nothing to do with them or simply walk away or take them out of fellowship, which is what Paul would say, as we saw last time. And uh, as we read the scriptures, there is a lot of many exhortations for unity. Mm. And we also see many examples where when the unity is broken, uh, it, destroys, uh, it destroys the family, it destroys the tribe, it destroys the church. So Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I beseech you or I beg you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that ye all speak uh, the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined uh, in the same mind and in the same judgment. Yeah. So here Paul is again exhorting us that there should not be any divisions among us. Uh, we should move towards uh, unity, which is perfect. Uh, which will come when we have the same mind, uh, we have the same understanding on different uh, issues that we are facing. So we might have differences of opinion, but those opinions uh, should not lead to conflicts. Uh, those opinions uh, should not lead to difference uh, or divisions within the church. So obviously all of us are independent uh, in our thinking. We all have different tastes. We all have different uh, personalities. So that is not what Paul is saying, but in uh, greater matters, uh, there should not be uh, any divisions. We should move towards one mind. And again, Peter writing the same thing. Uh, finally, be of one mind, mm. having compassion, one of another, love as brethren. So again, love is the foundation, as we've been saying. Uh, if love is missing, then obviously everything else will be missing. Uh, we won't see unity, we would see strife, we would see conflict, we would see jealousy, and so on. But uh, when we love uh, one another, then it would lead to a spirit of compassion, a spirit of understanding, and a spirit that leads us to a one mind, or we will be willing to compromise so that we are willing to reach that uh, one mind. And Jesus, also in his prayer, the long prayer that we find in John 17, uh, he says that they all may be one, that they may be made perfect in one. So perfection is achieved uh, in unity. So when we are looking for a church uh, that we want to be healthy, uh, if we want a church that will continue to mature and continue to be profitable in the hands of the Lord, then we also need to strive for unity and if there, anyone is causing divisions, then we should uh, deal with it uh, in a decisive way uh, and we should try to resolve it. So we should not try to ignore uh, such uh, instances. Uh, we should uh, take the word of God. We should pray about it and come up with a solution. And in Acts 2, 4.32, we see that the unity is practiced. Uh, when we went through the book of Acts, we saw many things that 
contributed to the unity of the church and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. So it speaks about multitude of people. So obviously it's more than one person, but they're all able to come together uh, in unity of heart and unity of soul. So we know that uh, it is not something that is uh, impossible. Uh, it is not something that is, uh, it seems unrealistic, but it is not impossible. So the Bible will never uh, ask us to do something uh, that cannot be achieved or that cannot be practiced. So Acts 4.32 will follow uh, when we are steadfast uh, in the words that we often quote. Uh, if we are steadfast uh, in our personal discipline of the word of God, uh, prayer and communion and fellowship, then that will lead to uh, oneness of mind. It will also lead to oneness in our fellowship. And we see that unity is uh, always blessed, whether it is a family, whether it's a group, whether it's a church, whether it's a work uh, situation. And one, Psalm 133, which is a familiar psalm, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant uh, it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commands the blessing. And unity is, uh, we find that unity in many churches, uh, it's not really based on scriptures. So we see that unity uh, in many churches. So we see that the church itself is very divided. Uh, it is divided based on the color of the skin. It is divided based on uh, certain unique uh, practices. Uh, it is divided based on nationality, language, and so on. But those kinds of unity uh, are not very sustainable. Uh, so that is why we see that even when you try to create a very homogeneous group uh, based on language, based on uh, a country or based on a denomination, uh, we still see many challenges. We still see many uh, problems in churches. So we need the biblical uh, foundation for unity uh, that we find in uh, Ephesians. When we went to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, uh, it talks about seven-fold uh, basis for unity. So uh, in this list, uh, we don't see anything about language. We don't see anything about race. Uh, we don't see anything about uh, denominations like Baptist or Presbyterian or so on. Uh, all of the bases or the foundation uh, is very spiritual. So it speaks about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and one father of all. But oftentimes uh, in the world, we see that when people are forming uh, new churches, uh, they're not really looking for these seven things. Oftentimes they will bring together people based on convenience, based on language and so on, uh, thinking that that will make the church strong. It will make the church united, but obviously it doesn't work. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, we have 20 minutes. Maybe we'll take a look at this quickly, which is, uh, uh, which is in this case, the scenarios. Uh, Abraham is soon to be engaged uh, to Sarah in New York City. Uh, both live in New York City and decide to live together to save rent. And people assume that they are living in sin. So here uh, we have a couple who is going to be engaged and then subsequently they may get married. And the assumption is they both are working in New York City, and we know that New York City is very expensive. So they decide to take an apartment and live together. 
and the assumption is they are going to church and people assume that they are living in sin. So what questions uh, does this situation pose and how must the church respond? So what type of questions does it raise in your mind and how would you deal with it or how would you resolve it? Should we yes. even interfere as a church? Can we interfere as a church? Yeah. Yeah. I can give you an answer. Let me see who else wants to respond. If somebody talks to us about them, that this couple is like this. And uh, so when we they, they tell us, talk about them, then we should not say anything, but we have to talk to the elders and just say that it is like these people are talking. So we should not say anything. The elders must talk to them not to say yeah. like yeah. some. Usually it is very uh, common that people will try to say something like, you know, look at how they are and like they just want to say that how they are living or what they are doing and all. And when we hear, we don't know what to say, but we have to just uh, talk to with just pray for them. I think I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like any other uh, situation, right? Like the yeah. early situation we were talking about someone who's dividing the church, which we thought yeah. was not scripturally right. Hmm. I think uh, as a church, as a local church, uh, we call ourselves a family. So. Uh, anything that we feel is not correct uh, scripturally, uh, we should definitely address it or we have the we have the authority to judge and make corrections within a local church. Uh, it is never to condemn someone. It is never to judge someone. It is always to restore any blessings that they may lose by continuing in a path which is not uh, consistent with the scriptures. So it is always done in that spirit. And I feel that we should take that freedom and we should take that uh, seriously uh, as we call ourselves a family, right? Yes. So just like we would correct our children if they're on the wrong path, then we should take the liberty to correct uh, people within a local church. I won't do that if the, someone is just coming for one Sunday because they are still a guest, right? But if they are part of the church, if they're coming consistently, then I think we have the authority and uh, it is actually, I would say it's a responsibility to do it. Yes. Not, yeah. yes. But we should know the facts. So we should not judge based on unknown mm -hmm. facts. We should not imagine things and uh, give counsel. We should uh, always approach with an open mind and get all the information. Then we should look in the scriptures and say, this is not consistent. This is not consistent. Yeah. give the right counsel yeah so it's not a matter of whether uh, i like it or somebody else likes it uh, it's a matter of what the bible says uh, if it is not correct according to the bible then i think someone should take the initiative to bring it up uh, either talk to them directly or talk to the elders of the church and ask them that you don't feel comfortable with the situation because not because it's your personal preference, but because yeah. it's not biblical. So the word of God is our uh, benchmark. Yeah. Anytime the word of God is violated, no matter what it is, whether it's people causing divisions or conflicts, 
uh, I feel that it should be addressed and it is our responsibility and yes. Question is, do we do that? Yes, that is a bigger question, right? So oftentimes, yeah. That's why as Philip said, we have to know for certain. Yeah. Just uh, sure. yeah. jump to conclusion because people are saying yeah. things yeah. that they're together. It's not that, but if they are, and uh, if they are, so if they are living together to save money, it uh, counsel them to get married soon. <laughs> that will be better. That will be God's blessing. Otherwise, you know, they they are going away from the Lord and God's blessing will not be there. Yeah. I mean, if you are again, if you are that couple and you're truly grounded in biblical principles, yeah. first of all, you will not take that step. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, that's totally yeah. out of question because you will not do it because Bible clearly instructs and tells us certain things. You will not do it. So that again shows like, you know, you are a little bit of carnal. You're not yeah. sure. You're just going as a worldly, uh, what do you say, saving money or whatever yeah. that context is here. Yeah, saving I think yeah, an excuse because we know so many times we hear people living together for years. Yeah. And having, you know, having children and then then getting married. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. but that's happening because they, they really do not, they are not really believers, but mm -hmm. that is happening. But yeah. if it is believer, then, you know, we, we have every reason to counsel them that what is right and what is wrong. Yeah, yeah we cannot force anyone to make a decision, but I think uh, it is right to counsel them on, if not, we are guilty, right? Because we have been given the responsibility to uh, tell people what is right. Uh, yeah. so if, not, if not, we don't have to give messages Sunday after Sunday, right? Why give messages? Just talk to them, whatever they want to listen, right? We can just make messages based on that. But we always give messages from the word of God. And this is just a continuation of that, right? The fellowship and everything else. So it should be consistent with the word of God. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we, if uh, I think uh, we have the leader, the leaders, elders uh, must uh, call them and talk to them. Yeah, it's always good to do it privately rather than... Yeah, private. Privately, you can talk yeah. to them, counsel them, uh, but uh, not everybody they say, why are you doing what? And so many people talk to each other. They'll tell me and then they'll tell somebody else, or somebody else and it goes on. So it's best that the leaders, the leaders of the church, elders should talk to them. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. definitely someone should talk it should not be ignored so because we are talking about uh, the testimony of the church we are also talking about the testimony of the believers and if we don't correct uh, the church is losing the blessings and they are also losing the blessings as a couple right so it is damaging no matter how you look at it it is bringing loss uh, we'll just look at a few verses uh, and then we can close for today so, so. Yeah, so we talked about this when we did uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it talked about sanctification, 
uh, in the context of sexual morality. So it says, for this is the will of God, uh, even your sanctification, that you should abstain uh, from fornication. And everyone of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, and not as the Gentiles, which know not God. So obviously the unbelievers, uh, they haven't read the scriptures or they don't have the counsel of the church or the counsel of the Bible. So they might be uh, living a certain way. They might be practicing a different lifestyle. But if someone is a believer or if they're coming to church uh, regularly, then it is their responsibility to follow the laws, moral laws uh, that we see in the scriptures because that is the standard that God is going to hold us to, yeah. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 13, it's a fairly long passage, uh, but uh, and it talks about uh, sexual immorality uh, in the context of incest, uh, but we can also apply it uh, to this scenario in, a, uh, in some ways. And uh, so I can kind of read a few verses. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such uh, sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. Deliver uh, such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, uh, that his spirit may be saved uh, in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good, uh, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Therefore, put away from among yourself uh, that wicked person. So just with a footnote uh, that this uh, is based on a different situation, more extreme situation. But here Paul is uh, talking about the church not responding to the sin. So uh, he's taking uh, objection to that, that the church has not done anything about it. They've kind of taken it casually or they've just kind of let it slip. So it kind of tells you that the church is not taking uh, that matter seriously and it is becoming maybe more liberal. It's becoming more uh, accommodative based on what's happening in the culture. And in this case, it says that uh, you're puffed up. You're actually proud and you have not mourned uh, for that situation that exists uh, among you. So the same thing could be true for any sin that exists in a church or anything that is not right that is in the church. Uh, when we don't correct it, uh, it shows that we are taking that matter uh, lightly or we are not uh, too serious about our faith and what is given in the scriptures. And Paul goes on to give us the warning that uh, knowing not that a little leaven uh, leaveneth the whole lump. So it again goes back to the thought that we are trying to preserve uh, the testimony of the church. And uh, if we leave uh, small things unattended, then eventually it will grow and it will destroy the church. So it's like small weeds uh, that grow in our garden. Uh, if it is left unchecked, then eventually it will become too big for us to even handle it. So the basis for Paul's teaching is, uh, again, uh, based on uh, Christ, uh, based on what he has received uh, from the Lord. And so what does delivering to Satan mean? And what is the purpose? 
here it says, right, in verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that a spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, there's uh, some form of uh, excommunication, we can say, where we are taking that person uh, outside the fellowship, like we talked about it uh, last week. And the intent is that when they are out of the fellowship, they will have time to reflect on what has happened. They will have time to regret uh, the decision that they made or the sin that they committed. And they will come back uh, to the Lord uh, when they are separated uh, from the fellowship. So in the short term, uh, that lack of fellowship would be uh, painful. But in the long term, uh, it would be profitable for them uh, because they will be able to restore uh, their spirit. They will be able to correct uh, themselves. And we see uh, that is what happened uh, if you take the picture of the prodigal son. Uh, he was taken away from his father's house. And at some point, he was able to recognize that what he was doing was not correct. And then he came back uh, to his father's house. So this would be more true uh, in those days where you may not have so many options. Uh, if you are taken out of a local church, uh, you may not have any other church to go to. So you would be kind of left all alone to think through the situation and reflect on your life. But obviously today we are too many churches, so even if we uh, take a person out, uh, they may simply go to some other church and yeah. continue in the sin. But the, the spirit of Paul's uh, teaching uh, is that the, the, the sin should be corrected. Uh, if we don't correct it, then it creates a bigger danger. And it also shows a lack of seriousness uh, towards uh, spiritual things. And again, in Second Thessalonians that we read, if anyone does not obey our word, which could be the teachings uh, of the doctrine or Paul's writings, uh, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Uh, you do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So again, this correction is done uh, in the spirit of love because Paul is calling them as brothers, not as enemies. Mm. And the intent is that uh, by correcting that person in a timely manner, uh, you're able to save that soul, uh, even though they may go through a short-term pain, but in the long-term, it will be for their good goodness. Uh, and Galatians 6.1 is more gentle, where it says, if anyone is overtaken in a fault, uh, e, which are spiritual, restore such a person uh, in the spirit of meekness, uh, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So this could apply in any context. And uh, obviously, we should not take the position that we are perfect and we are righteous and we are God. Uh, we are simply uh, people like them with the same uh, human body and we could fall into the same kind of sin. But uh, so we should restore such people uh, in the spirit of love and meekness. So, uh, so the idea is that repentance uh, would lead to, lead to yeah. yeah. And if they continue uh, in a state of sin, then it will take them away from the Lord, and they're going to lose all the spiritual blessings. Yeah. But if we are able to bring a sinner to repentance, uh, which is what the gospel is about. Huh. Even in a believer's life, uh, if they are living in sin, 
then it is the responsibility of the church uh, to bring them uh, to the point of repentance, uh, to restore the relationship that is broken uh, with the Lord. And that is what we do even on Sunday when we take part in the communion. We always say uh, to examine yourself if there is any sin to confess so that you can restore the broken relationship. And the same thing should be true when we see any sins uh, in the life of a church or the life of a brother or sister. Mm -hmm.